Hi, this is Margot Kelly with Political Commentaries, and it's June 17th, 2020. Um, Good news is uh, that the Supreme Court has protected the Obamacare so that they did not, other Republicans who had brought it to um, the Supreme Court in hopes of dismantling it in its entirety when it argued that it was unconstitutional to mandate that people would have to have it or be fined. They removed that but kept everything intact and uh, so that was a win. I think obviously that the COVID coming and the perfect timing had a lot to do with that, Um, but I'm grateful nonetheless and so should you be, whoever you are. You know, the fight, the fight to have uh, simple rights for decent treatment of all human beings seems to be something that we can't really um, ever take for granted since we are in the midst of watching daily uh, in our own country human rights being violated by crazy people, by a Congress, by a previous uh, wannabe dictator who still is trying to reign the party and power. And uh, so it's it's something that, you know, it takes a long time to get along. On that topic, I would like to discuss, I'm going to read from, um, because I'm sure they can say it much better than I can, I'm 100% sure. And so I'm going to read it. Hopefully it won't be as boring as, uh, I'll try to read it like in a more conversational way. But what I want to talk about is the filibuster want to, you know, just sort of address where it stemmed from, why it came into existence, what was its purpose, and how is it hurting or helping in the current situation of the power plays that keep blocking us from progress. Um, it's, okay, so let me, let me, this is going to be from uh, the Center for American Progress. It's an impact on the filibuster on federal policy making, and this is by Alex Tosanovich and Sam Berger. This was in December of 2019 that they wrote this article, or this report. And it looks at the impact of the filibuster on the legislation policymaking, describing just, you know, how it came into law and such. Okay, so the basic fact of modern American lawmaking at the federal level is that most bills can only pass if they have 60 or more, more votes in Senate, unless the bill is subject to special procedures. And without 60 votes, any senator can basically block most bills using a procedure known as the filibuster. So at its core, the filibuster is a rule that makes it harder for Congress to pass laws, basically. For senators in the minority, this is an advantage. I mean, they can prevent their opponents from passing bills that they do not like or force the majority to negotiate changes provided that they have the 41 uh, votes that they needed to sustain a filibuster, okay? But with the countries persistently split along party lines, today there is often a vast, unbridgeable divide between the 51st and 60th vote in the Senate. And that means that the filibuster effectively stymies most major legislation. When coupled with the rapid increase in its use, the filibuster has had a substantial effect on policymakers over the past few decades. So this report is basically looking at the impact of the filibuster on the legislative policymaking, and it's describing how the filibuster came to be, its increased use, the disproportionate power it provides to a small segment of society, and what legislation priorities it has been used to derail. (laughs) The history of the filibuster. Okay, there's a stubborn myth that the filibuster is part of the founders' vision of government. However, not only does the U.S. Constitution make no mention of the filibuster, it also appears to assume that legislative decisions would be made by majority vote. The evidence suggests that the filibuster arose not out of any founding principles, but instead out of the tenuous precedents and informal practices. Precedents, not presidents. Uh, in fact, for much of the early U.S. history, the Senate operated essentially by majority rule until 1806. A Senate rule you know, allowed a simple majority to end a debate on a bill and to move it to a vote. When that rule was eliminated, that was in 1806, it appears that it was 
you know, by mistake. It was actually <laughs> crazy. It was a mistake. Senators were, were merely cleaning up their rule book, you know, at the advice of Vice President Aaron Burr. And they did not realize that they had opened the door to the unlimited obstruction. And the first filibuster did not occur, you know, until more than 30 years later in 1837. So the, let's talk about the term, the term filibuster. It, it entered into use even later than that. That was in like 1850s when it was described that it described the practice of senators giving like lengthy speeches to delay a vote on a bill. And still the filibuster was not commonly used in general legislation passed by a majority rule. That was in general, that was it. Well, one reason may have been that in order to sustain a filibuster, senators had to actually stand on the Senate floor and continue to speak not, which is not an easy exercise to maintain indefinitely, when senators did so, it served more to delay the legislation than to defeat it. In fact, almost every filibustered measure before 1880 was eventually passed. Interesting. Uh, the modern day filibuster is largely the product of two significant reforms, one in 1917 and another in 1974. That was during World War I before the United States had entered the war. A group of 11 senators filibustered a bill that would have armed American merchant shops to protect them from attacks by German German U-boats. Shortly thereafter, President Woodrow Wilson made a statement published in the New York Times stating that the Senate of the United States is the only legislative body in the world which cannot act when its majority is ready for action, uh, referring to the 11 senators as a little group of willful men, Wilson stated, the only remedy is that the rules of the Senate shall be so altered that it can act. And days later, the Senate met in a special session to consider rules that could you know, break the logjam and allow the Senate to act. Well, the new rules included what the senators termed as a cloture motion. That's C-L-O-T-U-R-E. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Which basically allowed senators by a vote of two-thirds of those present to limit debate to one hour before you know, proceeding to a majority vote on the bill. For almost 50 years after the adoption of the new rules, uh, cloture votes to end debate were exceedingly very rare. So the one issue which, for which you know, the filibuster provided a major obstacle in, in decades that followed was civil rights. From the late 1920s through the 1960s, the filibuster was primarily used by Southern senators to block legislation that would have protected civil rights, anti-lynching bills and bills prohibiting poll taxes and bills prohibiting discrimination in employment and housing and voting. So these anti-civil rights filibusters were often justified with inflated rhetoric about an alleged Senate tradition of respecting minority rights and the value of extended debate on issues of great importance. But belying this rhetoric, conservatives during this period generally refrained from engaging in filibusters on issues other than civil rights. Which, you know, just my commentary here is just that, what does that tell you? I mean, think about that. You know, so just sort of to review what we're, we're addressing here is it, it was once upon a time a very rare and not not a practice common, but it became prevalent and almost only in this situation to uh, prevent voters from base to disenfranchise black people. Basically, they wanted to keep it in effect because this supports the racism of the white supremacist people in power who are disguised as. Uh, following the uh, all men are created equal in theory, but working very hard behind the scenes to make sure not in practicality, in reality. So uh, carrying on, I, I continue with their article. Some of the most notorious filibusters in American history were against the Civil Rights Acts of 1957 and 1964. During a filibuster for the 1957 Civil Rights Act, then Democratic Senator Strom Thurmond 
set a record by holding that the Senate floor continually for 24 hours and 18 minutes, seven years later, the, the uh, uh, ultimately unsuccessful effort to obstruct the Civil Rights Act of 1964 lasted a total of 74 days. 74 days, and it received major ongoing news coverage, ultimately helping to galvanize, galvanize, galvanize the public and break through the Southern opposition to civil rights. So in, in the early 1970s, the filibuster became more common and was used to block a broader range of legislation. Um, there have never been more than five filibusters in a single year prior to 1966, but there were 10 each year from 1971 to 1973, and 18 filibusters in 1974. Uh, this interjecting, you see this trend here. Um, so the I'm, I'm interjecting my thoughts. Uh, it, it, you know what we're seeing now, and I think that what we can ascertain is that a party. Uh, in power using or the minority in power by using filibusters is exercising this as a form of uh, blocking majority rule basically um, it's sort of like in, in my opinion and it's not a great necessarily right opinion but it makes me think of our election system in the first place right like how many presidents, you know, from popular vote are have lost the presidency? And I think about now when I think about how we are, you know, just how long did it take us to pass this uh, the right to not be denied health insurance and then find affordable health insurance for everybody? How long since we became a republic did it take? So much opposition to just the most simplest things in that respect uh, I would think that and I'm going to continue to read but I would think that people used it to uh, subvert the majority of popular uh, opinion and wants and needs and what's in their best interest basically a very small minority of special interest group people seem to be running the show um, by using these, you know, ways to make sure that no legislation can be passed, no matter how, what their what their uh, state's um, citizens are wanting. It, and this is a problem because it, it's going on a lot where we will see votes and polls about what do people want, but their representatives that they appointed are going to work against what the people say they want in these opinion polls. Um, again, voting against your best interests. When you write uh, the uh, laws to try to make it harder for poor people or um, you know uh, in, in any area, predominantly um, Democrat, Democrats uh, fearing Democrat. Uh, citizens who would vote Democratic fearing that they're going to maintain or gain power and you have to undermine that by creating a state law to make it harder for them to vote. This is showing you how way back when this filibuster was in place, you know, the civil rights thing. I mean, it's almost like, you know, so obvious that the very people that depend on uh, the upholding of the civil rights can be protected, but they're being undermined always. It, it appears to not be going away. Um, carrying on to where I was, the um, 18 filibuster in 1974. This created renewed pressure for reform. So some reformers, including Democrat Senator Walter Mondale, of Minnesota wanted a, a, a cloture rule that required only a majority vote. Mondale, however, along with Kansas Republican Senator James Pearson, ultimately proposed a bipartisan compromise. 
to reduce the threshold for cloture from a vote of two-thirds of the chamber to a vote of three-fifths the current 60-vote threshold. So that's when that 60-vote threshold came into, um, into rule. All right, that would have been then. Uh, so importantly, around the same time, an innovation of Senate procedure allowed senators to filibuster without bringing the entire Senate to a halt. Under the new system of tracking legislation, implemented without any formal changes to the rules, multiple bills could remain pending on the Senate floor at one time. So legislation facing a filibuster threat could now simply be kept on the back burner until the majority managed to get 60 votes in favor of cloture. Am I, cloture, is it, is it my, am I pronouncing that right? Cloture, C-L-O-T-U-R-E. Cloture. It's, it sounds so weird. It's hard to say cloture for some reason. Anyways, to the extent that senators had any qualms about holding up Senate business, the tracking system smoothed their path for unlimited use of the filibuster. And senators no longer physically occupy the Senate floor and speak in order to block a vote. They simply announce their intent to filibuster a vote. <laughs> and then the Senate either holds a cloture vote or moves on to other business. On occasion, a senator may vote for cloture in order to allow a debate on a bill, even if they do not support its passage. But in practice, such instances are rare, and senators who vote to allow debate on a bill usually support its passage. This is largely the filibuster as it exists today. The only way to end debate and to proceed to a vote is a cloture motion, which requires 60 votes to pass. Senators can filibuster simply by expressing their intention to do so, and if a filibuster is expected, then the bill will often not be brought up to a vote. Hence why... This is not working. <laughs> in 2003, that's why it takes so damn long to get anything done. Uh, in 2003, political scientist David Mayhew summarized the status quo as automatic failure for bills not reaching the 60 mark. So you guys, just interjecting here, this is why I know it's hard to find the time, but this is why it's so critical that we get the people in power who have ethics, have the popular people, its opinions and wants and interests in mind. I mean, if you represent a state, for example, a state, and the majority of the, let's say, just simple math, there's a, a, a million people in one state that want one thing, and they might be Democrats and they might be Republicans. And then you have a thousand people that want something different. When you are voted in office, who are you supposed to represent if not the popular majority of what those citizens of the state want? Because you can't assume anything. Although Fox and other friends and other, you know, extremist right right wing groups will try to manipulate. Uh, perceptions and to direct people to feel, you know, this is a horrible thing. If you vote in this direction, it'll be just terrible, terrible. You know, you create a socialist country. If you make sure that your children get to have insurance and your spouse and wife don't have to die because they, or go bankrupt because they couldn't get coverage and they dared to start their own business where they were self-employed and such. So thinking about the people that are actually trying to convince people in the world to vote against their own interests, and they're doing that because they have a special interest who are paying them off to try to do that. Um, But the growing use of the filibuster, okay, back to reading. Not all the modern filibusters can be easily identified because even the mere threat of a filibuster can be enough to prevent it, to, to prevent consideration of a bill. And there's no easy source of data on threatened filibusters. However, the Senate does publicly report the number of cloture votes held votes to break the filibuster in progress. And those numbers captured in the table below tell a clear story. The number of the filibusters has skyrocketed. I mean, from 1917, when the cloture rule was put in place, to 1970, there were fewer than 60 cloture motions. The most notable filibusters were those 
blocking civil rights legislation, and uh, that's sad. Between 1970 and 2000, cloture votes increased to an average of about 17 per year. And finally, starting in the 2000s, minority parties in the Senate began to routinely filibuster substantive legislation proposed by the other party. And during this party from 2000 to 2018, an average of 53 cloture votes were held every freaking year with the continuing trend upward. So this is an abuse, again, of power and a misuse of something that is not supposed to be the norm. And that's me stating. Cloture votes reached a high of 218 for the two-year period under the 113th Congress, and that was from 2013 to 14. In the most recent full session, the 115th Congress, which was the Congress in 2017 to 18, there were 168 cloture votes. That was Congress. The conservative Republican Street Institute described as more dysfunctional than ever. Oopsie. Only 52 pieces of legislation were passed in the Senate by recorded vote. 52 pieces of legislation. Do you understand how blocking progress works now? And do you understand why the party, the Republican Party, wants to block progress? It doesn't matter what you want. Your voice is irrelevant to them. And that's what I want people to really listen to. I, I, I think that it's disgusting that... And I, and I think that so many people are so uh, brainwashed by media and uh, convinced that to vote in their own best interest would be somehow very harmful. And everyone, it is in everyone's best interest to have equality for all. It's not, that shouldn't be a partisan issue. And, and, and you shouldn't try to make it harder or easier for the wealthy or the poor to get to the polling place because you hope to gain support from them. It should be equal to all is what it should be. Anyways, um, so how the filibuster empowers a small segment of America. Let me read on. The filibuster empowers a minority of senators who may represent a surprisingly small percentage of Americans. And that's what I was just saying. Each state is assigned two senators regardless of the population. So the most populous state, like California, home to nearly 40 million people, has the same number of senators as Wyoming, which was, has fewer than 600,000 residents. That means that Wyoming voters have 68 times as much representation in the Senate is Californians. And by comparison, when the Constitution was ratified, Virginia had almost 13 times as many people as Delaware, the largest uh, disparity at that time. I mean, I mean, consider that the 21 states with the fewest residents who collectively have enough senators to filibuster legislation make up only 11% of the total population. Hear me out, people. I'm interjecting. 11% of the population? Are you freaking serious? Do you you see how this is gross and ineffective? (sighs) Of course, I'm back to reading. Of course, in the most cases, it's an cases, it's unlikely that the smallest states would all band together to filibuster because some small states predominantly elect Democratic senators and others predominantly elect Republicans. But the problem is not alleviated by taking into consideration the partisan leanings of states. I mean, and I'm going to interject here, I would argue that there seems to be a leave your brain your ethics and your uh, ideals at the door in the Republican states with those representatives saying, let's uh, pressure everybody to stand in. For example, you know, anyone that deviates from Trump gets beat up no matter how much they can't stand him. And so they've all learned to, you know, go along with whatever the uh, people tell them to in their party in power or just not even empower the ones that are uh, wanting to gain power. 
For example, the 21, I'm back to reading, for example, the 21 least populous states currently represented by two Republican senators, enough to sustain a filibuster, represent less than 25% of the United States population. So they can stop all votes in progress, you guys. And it's the, the minority and the smallest amount of people. Anyways, back to reading. Democrats currently have two senators in 18 states, and those states represent about 41% of the U.S. population. If you include five additional Democrats from the least populous states that have one Democratic senator, enough to sustain a filibuster, then they would represent about 46% of the population. Also, uh, consider that many voters do not support the winning candidate in their state. The implication is that at any time, a very small percentage of the population can elect enough senators to just basically block the will of a much larger majority of Americans. And that is just so gross, you guys. I mean, right? Come on. How can you see how by design the tools that are being laid out to block and hold people uh, from being having their needs met by blocking the representatives from being able to do anything. So your tax dollars are going to pay people who are really just uh, going to be sitting there many times with their hands tied behind their back because of this filibuster, okay? Note, back to reading, note that because the senators represent uneven numbers of Americans, even the majority in the Senate may not quite represent a majority of Americans. So in those cases... The filibuster can be used by a minority of senators to prevent an outcome that itself lacks majority support among the American people. That's what I've been saying. All right. The impact of the filibuster on legislative outcomes. All right. It's easy to demonstrate that the filibuster has increased its use and that it allows a small minority to frustrate the will of the majority. It is. Okay. Now I'm going to interject something here. It's kind of complicated right? Because imagine a world, if you will, right now, um, where if the majority of the world was wanting to hail Hitler or Trump and didn't care who it killed, hurt, and uh, eradicated and who it set its target to increase hate crimes on well they could just mandate say any old kinds of rules and say let's punish people who come to seek asylum by I don't know kidnapping them out of the arms of their families and putting those little babies and children in cages intentionally by a rule, by a mandate of zero tolerance. We, they, they could just do that. And who could stop them? Right? They could do that and then some. So it's kind of like the wrong party in power willing to Throw the Constitution and uh, the democracy that we have into the toilet by inciting an, an insurrection and then not holding them accountable. Those are the people that are similar to the people that allowed Hitler to rise to power and close their eyes to the uh, effect of what he was doing as he rose to power and with his spreading of lies and not to trust the media and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, all in the hate and in everything he spread. Um, so it's like, it's like, it could be a thing of protecting against some horrible, you know, effort to block uh, some horrible evil legislation but it's being used to now to block good legislation that people want to help create um, you know um, 
progress in our planet and our lives. Anyways, let me go back to what I was reading. It's ready. It's easy. I said it was easy to demonstrate that the filibuster has increased its use and that it allows a small minority to frustrate the will of the majority. And it's not easy, however, to quantify the actual impact of the filibuster. So to provide a sense of the filibuster's impact, this report first examines significant bills that were blocked by filibusters. Second, it provides examples of legislation that never made it to the vote in the first place because senators assumed these bills would be blocked by the filibuster. So this is going to be an education. The list of the bills is intended to capture significant policy changes that would have gone into effect if not for the filibuster. So it's composed of bills considered since the beginning of the Clinton administration. One, that the support of the majority of senators, two, were subject to a filibuster but lacked the 60 votes to overcome it. And three, it would likely have become a law if passed by the Senate. So the last criteria is important because many bills that pass one chamber of Congress do not become law, particularly in periods of divided government like we're in now. Uh, consider, for example, Senate Democrats' 2012 effort to pass the Buffett Rule, that which would have set a 30% minimum tax for individuals with an annual income of more than $2 million, phasing in gradually for individuals with an income of more than $1 million. The bill was supported by 51 senators, you guys, all Democrats, but it failed to overcome a Republican filibuster. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, I just want to interject. How many, um, how many millionaires were, are, were, the, were fighting at the insurrection, trying to overturn the election for the millionaire uh, TV reality TV uh, con artists? You see, these people will go and vote against their own best interests. Why? Why? Because they're because they are. In, it's designed to fuck their head up and lie to them and to instill fear that has nothing to do with the good things that the Democrats are trying to do, has everything to do with what the Republicans are using, the tactics to gain this uh, control and this support. And this is basically a problem. Um, And it has been a problem all along. Because the interest of everybody is being uh, hurt and harmed. And uh, if, 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 if you can't even vote, if, if you can't reach, if you can't make a law making, you know, if you make $4 million that you should pay more money or whatever, you can't, if, if the Republicans are going to stop that and they're going, they're okay with Trump not paying taxes. See, that's the thing. They're good with him scamming. All, they all are trying to, they all use the same accountants, you guys. Your taxes, the worker is who's running this country so that the rich can get richer. That's the truth, period. And these are the people that are voting, these people in power, which is just alarmingly crazy stupid. Uh, anyways, where was I? Each day is a sign. I said, right on that. I lost my spot. I'm just... I'm just disgusted, though, with the way, you know, because I, I just, I, we all sit here and we scratch our head and like, how is this happening? Why is this happening? And we don't understand it because people are voting against their own best interest when they vote for Trump. And they don't understand that. Um, back to reading. The last criteria is important because many bills that pass that one chamber of commerce do not become a law particularly in the periods of... I read that already. Um, let's see. The House of Representatives with the Republican Party controlled by a substantial margin. Therefore, the filibuster did not really stop the Buffett rule. I talked about that. Uh, or, or in the Buffett rule from becoming a law as it never stood a chance. Okay, well, it never stood a chance. So this is not to say that the passage of a bill through the Senate under a divided government cannot affect the political dynamics in the House, but... Simply that virtually all bills that have garnished 51 votes in the Senate likely would still not have become a law under this divided government. All right, in order to exclude filibusters of, of bills that would be unlikely to pass in a divided government, the list below is limited to periods of trifecta government. 
and where one party had a majority control of the House and the Senate as well as a control of the presidency. And since at least the 1990s, most major legislation with divided support in Congress has split along party lines. That means that even if it has passed the Senate, it would have been unlikely to win in the support of the opposing party in the House or the White House. But in conditions of a trifecta government, a filibuster in the Senate can be uh, fatal to a bill that likely would have passed if the House had received the president's signature. Note that in some cases, filibusters' bills were eventually passed, but with substantial concessions to the senators blocking the original bill. All right, so bills that the Senate filibuster block. All right, the bills listed below were collected primarily from the Senate's database of cloture votes. And although some bills were identified from a database of filibusters assembled by political scientist Gregory Coger or media sources, each bill is followed by a brief description intended to provide a sense of the bill's contents. But by no means should these be considered comprehensive summaries, okay? So the list reflects to the following periods of trifecta government. All right, 1993 to 1995, 2003 to 2006, 2009 to 2010, 2017 to 2018, the, uh, the, um, and then it just says the 103rd, 108th, 109th, 111th, and the 105th Congresses. Right. It is organized into periods of trifecta Republican control and periods of a trifecta Democrat all right. Note that a list of filibuster bills includes major progressive priorities such as efforts to strengthen labor unions, protect the environment, create high-paying jobs, reduce pay discrimination, improve campaign and lobbying disclosures, and provide a pathway to citizenship for dreamers. It also includes major conservative priorities such as eliminating access to reproductive health care, eliminating access to public benefits, including taxes for the very wealthy, and limiting the ability of consumers to sue corporations. (laughs) So again, designed uh, in the interests of the wealthy. So just remember, every time you little Republicans go to vote, to vote to make sure that your wages aren't meeting the needs to have a, uh, to a decent housing or inflation and be able to take care of your children, it's because you voted against your best interest. And why did you do that? Somebody convinced you, somebody very wealthy, very rich, wealthy people that billionaires and millionaires that are controlling you because they're playing on your stupidity and your gullibility and your laziness to fact check and they feed you it's like a state tv fox and not our friends opinion host it's like state tv they they're in place to own your ass convince you spew dem bigotry and hate because if you vote for your best interest, you'd be a Democrat. It's just that simple. Let me read. Re, let me read it again to you. Uh, I want you to think about this and, and ask yourself: Why should we, maybe I should consider not being a Republican and voting against my best interest for myself and my spouse and my children? Uh, major conservative priorities such as eliminating access to reproductive health care. Okay, let's talk about eliminating access to reproductive health care. That means Planned Parenthood, which a very small percentage even went to uh, having abortions, but it mostly was abortion prevention. That's called birth control. So by, by getting rid of birth control, targeting the poor and the people on moderate income, Planned Parenthood, which, which intest, and, and stopping the spread of sexually transmitted diseases to your children and yourselves, okay, and, and, and abortion prevention called contraceptive, they, that, was the, that was their agenda. So the conservative priorities, such as eliminating access to reproductive health care, uh, eliminating access to public benefits, reducing taxes for the very wealthy, 
and limiting the ability of consumers to sue corporations. The corporations are the wealthy. So they, if they screw you over and you, your child dies because of something that you bought from them, they didn't follow the right FDA rules or whatever, well, you know what? They're not a person. You can't sue them. Sorry. All right, go on, carrying on. While the report focuses on the impact of the filibuster, it's also important to note that non-legislative means have been used to advance many conservative priorities. And these efforts have been aid, aided by an increasing number of the far-right judges who have been put on the bench in recent years. And while any discussion of the filibuster must be you know, clear-eyed as the how both conservatives and progressives have used the procedural tool, it's equally important to consider the judicial branch's role in then shaping the national policy by ruling on state and federal legislation that is brought before federal courts, assuming, you know, it is even brought before there. Okay. So the, on the 108th Congress, which was in 2003 to 2004, this is the Bush administration. Here's the Republican trifecta, all right? Um, this, there was a Class Action Fairness Act of 2003. This was in, uh, December, uh, actually, October 22nd, 2003. A vote, 59 to 39. This bill would have made it much harder to bring successful class action lawsuits. It easily passed the House, and it fell one vote short of overcoming a Senate filibuster. Okay, Energy Policy Act. This was in 2003, November 21. This 2003 energy bill was filibustered because of the provision that would have protected companies from the liability, listen people, for producing and distributing MTBE, a gasoline additive that can contaminate drinking water. Oil companies have since paid hundreds of millions of dollars in settlements to clean up water contamination. Pride Act welfare reform. Okay, this is in 2004 of April 1st. This bill would have placed substantial restrictions on the temporary assistance for needy families. <sighs> right? I mean, this is the Christian Republican. They want to restrict assistance to needy families. Okay. Bush administration, 2005-2006. This is the Republican trifecta. USA Patriot Improvements and Reauthorization Act of 2005. Although the Patriot Act was eventually reauthorized in 2006, one day before it was due to expire, the final version of the bill contained several new protectors for civil liberties, concessions that were won due to a filibuster of the 2005 version of that bill. So, you know, the Department of Defense Appropriations Bill, which was in... Uh, was for funding for the drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. That was in 2000 vote. That vote was 56 to 44. Republican uh, leaders in the Senate attempted to pass a measure to allow oil drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, making it a part of a popular defense spending bill to pay for the war of Iraq and Hurricane Katrina relief. <laughs> Though they received the support of the four Democratic senators, the bill failed to overcome a Senate filibuster and was eventually passed with the ANWR drilling provision removed. Okay. So sometimes it can be good. Death tax repeal uh, permanently act. Okay. This bill that was done in 2006, you guys, 57 vote to 41. This bill would have permanently repelled the estate tax. That whole estate tax, by the way, is interesting to me because it's like, okay, they, they put limits that are like, who's, you know, like, are they planning the death of the wealthiest, wealthiest? And then they go, okay, well then you, for this period, you don't have to pay any estate tax up to, you know, $10 million or $1 million or whatever they are passing. Why is it such a vast difference? Like, do they, are they trying to project using actuaries to when the wealthiest, wealthiest of the wealthiest will die so they can make sure that they don't get taxed. They went through their whole life without being taxed. Why not stop them then too? Crazy. Uh, 1959 uh, estate tax reduction and extension of the Tax Relief, Relief Act of the 2006. 
and this was a vote of 56 to 42, this bill would have significantly weakened and reduced the estate tax. Okay, uh, Child Interstate Abortion Notification Act, this was in 2006. The bill would have applied parental consent laws across state lines by making it a criminal offense to transport a mi- oh my god a minor to another state for an abortion without providing notice to the parent and requires out-of-state doctors to give 24 hours notice to parents of such minors god that's so scary uh, this bill would have applied parental consent laws crossing okay so like there's one they, don't even, they, they want to create these state laws and then they're trying to make sure that people can't even leave the state to go do something without... Oh, God. It's, it's crazy. Um, Trump administration, Republican trifecta. Okay. A pain-capable unborn child protection act in 2018. Uh, this, this was a 51 to 46 vote. This bill would have made it illegal to perform an abortion after 20 weeks of pregnancy. Uh, so I'm assuming that this, these are all filibuster. Okay, 103rd Congress, Clinton administration, Democratic trifecta. The emergencies, okay, so, that, so now this is when the, there was a, a Democratic trifecta. So let's see what, what, what happened here. Emergency Supplemental Appropriations Act, Economic Stimulus Bill. 1993. If you remember, Clinton also inherited a recession. All right, that's me saying. President Bill Clinton's urging the Senate attempted to pass an appropriation bill that contained billions of dollars for programs intended to create jobs and provide benefit to the unemployed. The bill was drastically scaled down after a Republican filibuster. Joined by one Democrat, Senator Richard Shelby, who was in Alabama, also switched party affiliation and became a Republican the following year. A bill to amend the National Labor Relations Act. Okay, well, let me just interject again. Do you notice that when there is a recession and, or a pandemic or anything that humanity needs a helping hand from its own effing tax dollars? from its own tax dollars, because you're the only ones paying taxes. The wealthy are getting away with not paying. So you, so the middle class is supporting the world. And when they're in crisis or need, the wealthy are saying, nah, we'd like to keep that money that you've worked your ass off for our special interests, not what's in your best interest. And they will filibuster to make sure that anything that the Democrats are trying to do to protect you, help you, and give you uh, assistance in a crisis, recession or depression or whatever, that they will try to block that. These are the same people, you guys, that aren't paying taxes. These are the same people that are spending all this time trying to make sure that you can't have health insurance unless you work for a corporation. And if you work for a corporation, you can't sue the corporation. And these are the same people are making sure that your wages are low and your cost of living is inflated and you can't go anywhere so that you can be, you know, uh, seduced into joining the military to create and fight for the wars they, they create and start. So it's a crazy system here. Anyways, a bill to amend the national, I'm going back to reading, a bill to amend the National Labor Relations Act and the Railway Labor Act to prevent discrimination based on participation in labor disputes. This bill would have made it illegal for an employer to threaten or take steps to replace an employee who exercised collective bargaining rights. So again, if you want to do anything in your best interest, the Republican Party is going to make sure that they block you, your representatives who are trying to, you know, make progress so that you can, uh, you know, have your needs met. Again, you're a Republican, but you're voting against your interests. Unless everyone is a big-time millionaire, what are you doing? Fools. And, you know, we've seen a lot of really stupid Republicans at these um, rallies. God, how Trump loves the idiots. And these people don't even know if the first thing about anything that's really going on. Not if they, if they just, they're, 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 they're just cult, uh, 
Trumpers, and that's that's all they are. And they they've been so brainwashed to not even understand that by voting Republican, they're hurting themselves. Uh, camp back to reading campaign spending limits and election reform act that was in 1994, a vote of 57 to 43. This bill would have created a voluntary partial public financing system for federal campaigns, although. The bill was substantially weakened to pass the House of Representatives. It ultimately failed to move toward forward due to the filibuster in the Senate. Okay, Lobbying Disclosure Act. Oh, there we go. It tightened the LDA tightened weak and outdated rules requiring lobbyists to register and disclose their clients and lobbying activity. Uh, in 1994, the bill was all but killed by a Republican-led filibuster. Joined by eight Democrats, however, after persistent campaigning and threats by LDA supporters to filibuster other bills, the LDA finally passed more than a year later. You see, they don't want to disclose who their clients are because then you might not vote for them. All right. uh, Or they just got to convince you that, you know, the people that have their, let's say the, the NRA, the NRA's got to convince them to convince you to, you know, say, oh my God, they're trying to hurt your Second Amendment rights. Oh, fear, 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 fear. They're going to do this. They're going to come in there. They're going to break and take your houses. They're going to, you know, that's how they get you to vote against your best interests. All lies. I'll make believe bullshit. But it's, you know, they, 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 that's how they got to brainwash you to get you to vote. Because how many people are readily going to vote against their best interests if there isn't some greater fear and some greater looming threat in their mind if they don't? Back to reading. Uh, in the 11th Congress, 2009-2010, Obama administration, the Democratic trifecta, Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act, Senate version of the bill, was filibustered three times. The vote 57 to 41, another time in 2010, April 27th, it was 57 to 41, and in the April 28th, 56 to 42. There's not much moving there, one person vote. Although the final Dodd-Frank bill imposed new far-reaching financial regulations, it also, it also contains some compromises. Democrats were one short of the 60 votes that they needed to pass a bill along party lines and therefore made some significant concessions in order to win Republican votes in the Senate. Perhaps most notably, a weekend, uh, where was I? A weakening of the Volcker rule, which aimed to separate the banking system from the hedge funds, private equity funds, and the proprietary trading activities that take bets on the ups and downs of their market. Uh, democracy is strengthened by casting light on spending in election acts, disclosure act that twice filibustered the disclosure act. Again, to, the disclose act sought to substantially increase disclosure requirements for money spent to influence elections, including payments for elections, related advertisements run by nonprofit organizations. It was blocked twice coming within one vote of overcoming the second filibuster. (sighs) You know, listen, if you're listening to this and you have family or friends that are Republicans, I really would ask you, well, first off, please subscribe and follow if you haven't, but I'd ask you to put this on on your Facebook, share it. And the reason why this podcast is so important for you to share with people that aren't Democrats is so that they can understand how disheartened they might be in politics. But now there's an understanding why. And it has everything to do with um, what we're talking about here, this filibuster and the ability to block progress. And so the goal is to get the Republican voter to vote for somebody in power that will will make sure that they block whatever's in that Republican voter's best interest because they are controlled by these special interest group. Okay, it's important that they understand how, how this works and their role in helping to hurt themselves and their families and their futures. 
I mean, unless every single Republican voter is, is making $4 million or a million dollars or whatever, right? All right, so let me keep going. This bill would have went back to what the Creating American Jobs and Ending Offshoring Act. This bill would have given tax breaks to businesses that return jobs from overseas to the United States and eliminated tax benefits for companies that moved jobs overseas. So how, so that was blocked? Can, can, what the hell? Here's another one. Paycheck Fairness Act. This bill would have made it easier to, for women to raise discrimination claims against their employer if they were paid inequitable wages. And it would also have increased penalties and strengthened protections against retaliation for employees that raise complaints. The bill was filibustered again in 2012 when it received 52 votes. Listen to this, you guys. Are you a woman? Are you a Republican woman? Do you understand that you're voting against your own self to make sure that they... They can retaliate. You, you, they can retaliate. They can hurt you. They can pay you less. Why are you doing this? It's insane to me. It's just a way to keep women oppressed. Women, ha- what do you pay for that men don't pay for? Tampons, makeup, hair, everything to do to woman, nails, toes, clothing's three times higher, shoes, purses, every every. Cut single thing insurance everything has been it was and still is expensive beyond for a woman so why would a woman not be able to get paid as much it doesn't make sense it literally doesn't make sense i I just and then why would a republican vote for a representative that would block that something's wrong with you if you keep voting against your best interests and I know what it is. And what is wrong with you is you've been deceived to, you, to you know, using things like, oh, the Mexicans are sending rapists and murderers over here. Oh, they're all going to come here and they're going to break into your house and murder you. If the Democrats don't take your guns away, you won't be able to protect yourself. I mean, this is the bullshit gaslighting you've been victim of that have helped to block progress, okay, and helped you to vote against yours and your family's best interests. Moving on, efforts to extend the Bush administration tax cuts for middle-class Americans only included in two separate amendments, both filibustered, okay? Senate Democrats attempted to pass two amendments to the 2010 bill. The first would have extended tax cuts based during the Bush administration, but only to couples making under 250000 and unmarried individuals making under 200000 The second would have extended tax cuts only for people making no more than $1 million. Both were filibustered. And the Obama administration later made a deal with Republicans to extend all the tax cuts for two years along with the payroll tax holiday and an extension of enhanced unemployment benefits. Okay, and here's the next one. Emergency Senior Citizens Relief Act of 2010. This was December 8, 2010. The vote was 53 to 45. This bill would have extended through 2011 and 2009 stimulus bill benefits. Uh, I'm going to, you know what? Let me finish this. Stimulus bill benefits to recipients of Social Security, Supplemental Security Income, Railroad Retirement Benefits, and Veterans Disability Compensation and Pension Benefits, as well as tax credits of government retirees. The bill was intended in part to make up for the fact that due to the congressional inaction, recipients of Social Security had not received the usual cost of living adjustments in 2011. Listen, this is this is long podcast. I have to end this here now because it's going to uh, end. Uh, I'm gonna I'm I can maybe I'll continue on the next one, but you got the you got the gist of what's going on, you guys. How you are hurting yourself if you're a Republican voting Republican, and how the Republicans in office are not voting for and blocking votes that would be in yours and your families and loved ones and your neighbors and your friends and your peers' best interests. Don't believe me? Look this up and finish reading it for yourself. AmericanProgress.org. Okay. Uh, anyways, that's my message to you guys. This is a, this was a, this is why this filibuster is a very important topic and why 
there are so many strong periods of time when nothing gets accomplished and we are cutting off our nose to spite our face so much. All right, listen, if you haven't subscribed, please do. Please share this, really. Share this with Republicans. We really need people, the majority, the population to vote in their best interest. And they need to understand that that's not happening. And- Thank you.